you know, this is a special week for me here on the podcast. Super excited for this one. Um, it's kind of coming full circle for me. I started this show six years ago and, you know, during the beginning of this podcast, I, I thought of the possibilities of certain guests that I could get on the show and what could happen later on. But, you know, I'll be honest, when I started the show, I never knew if that was actually going to be a reality. Like how often do people start podcasts, build a platform to where it's at, you know, to a large enough platform to be able to, you know, get certain guests on, on the show where they have a certain amount of, amount of credit where these guests will be willing to, to join them. Well, today, today I have the opportunity to see this childhood favorite player. Uh, he is the reason I am a fan of the Ohio State University. He was the main guy that I cheered for. And he had, he won the Heisman Trophy at Ohio State. He went on to have an amazing NFL career as a running back. And now he is a college football head coach. And he's had quite the career. And he's going to be sharing so much knowledge with us. It's arguably one of the most special interviews I've had on this show. And I'm grateful to be able to, to, to share with you here on my platform. So get ready. This is the, the Game Guru. So, what's up, everybody? Welcome, welcome out to another episode of the Game Time, Game Time Guru Podcast. I am your host, Shane Larson. Excited to be here with you guys for yet another interview, another week on the show, another awesome story we're going to get to hear. And um, I mean, this is our take two of this podcast. It's kind of interesting uh, how it all works. And you guys can follow me on social media. I'll tell you guys a little bit more about what went down. But grateful to have our guests on the show. Um, and I'm grateful to be where we're at on the show. Six years running. Um, I tell you guys all the time. I just appreciate all the listeners who have tuned in. This is why we're in 180 countries. Uh, we've gone worldwide. Wide. Everybody's sharing the podcast over the last six years. All the, all the guests have joined us and, and, uh, and everything in between. So with that being said, I want to introduce our guest. As you guys heard introduction, this is a very, very special one for me. Uh, my favorite player growing up. Uh, that's the, He's the reason I'm a Buckeyes fan talked about it before. Uh, those who know me personally know this, but for those who are maybe new to the show or maybe don't know so much about my fandom of Ohio State, you wouldn't know this, but he is the reason I am a, a fan of the school ever since I was seven years old. So I'm going to introduce our, our guest. I mean, he's a head coach right now. He's a former former high trophy winner, former NFL running back. I mean, he's got, he's got all the accolades. His name is Eddie, Eddie and he's joining the <laughs> I'm excited to have you here with, with us, man. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for having me, Shane. I know we've been working really hard at trying to make this happen. Here is take two for it, man. Um, I appreciate your work. Thanks for reaching out. Um, I saw your, your deal on Instagram where you talked about the moment you became an Ohio State fan, and I was flattered. I said, hey, man, let me reach out and, and see if we can get something done for you, man. So thanks for um, being a fan of me and and – and what I've been able to do uh, throughout my career. Yeah, man, it's it's wild that I'm even chatting with you, man. And it's cool what, what you're referring to for those listeners who are paying attention right now. I made a social media media post. What I do on social media, I try to like answer questions that people have had for me. And I've had quite a few people say, why? Because I run an Ohio State football channel on YouTube with my business partners. Mm -hmm. um, and people have asked me like, why do you call yourself the Boise Buckeye? Why are you, a, uh, did you, were you born in Ohio? So I answer questions on social media. And for those listeners out there, I, I did it. I was answering them like, why do you, why do you like Ohio State if you're not from there? Nobody in your family cares about them. And I had to explain it. Yeah. And then like that same night I get a DM and I thought it was a joke. My wife is sitting there. I'm 30, 34 year old and like fanboy and complain complete over my wife. I go, no way. She goes, what? what? I'm like, Dude, I, this this is Emily Eddie George like hitting me back up. Like, no, it's not. No, I'm <laughs> like looking at the account. I'm like, dude, no, I follow the guy. Like, I, this is him. And so, 
it's just like one of those moments where I was like, dude, he actually got back to me. I'm just grateful we could make it happen and uh, get to know a little bit more of your story, man. So obviously the, the fandom began when you were at Ohio state for me. Like that's when I kind of like learned who you were. And then I followed you all throughout the rest of your NFL mm -hmm. career and everything. Plus I'm a, I'm a Cowboys fan too. So I got a little bit of that as well in, in your NFL career, but um, just a little bit, but I, I followed you all the way through, but I want to rewind the, rewind the clock uh, and know you before the days of Ohio, Ohio before the Heisman trophy run. Um, I want to get to know you more as, as you were, were growing up and the sports that you competed in. So would you mind kind of breaking down like when you, picked up a football and were you a multi-sport athlete or did you kind of focus on football from a young age? Well, um, since I can remember, I, I always played football. Um, I always had a football in my hand. Um, you know, uh, growing up in Philadelphia with my mother and my father, uh, my father was a big sports fan. He loved football, loved running backs. And that's where I got my love of, of, run, play, of, of wanting to be a running back. And I've always watched and admired all the great backs from uh, his time, you know, from Walter Payton to uh, Franco Harris, O.J. Simpson, Billy Sims, um, Joe Cribs, just to name a few, uh, Marcus Allen. And um, I've always loved the game of football. Uh, growing up, um, I, I dabbled in basketball, but, but didn't have a great jump shot, couldn't handle, couldn't go left. Um I wrestled a little bit, but I ran track. So track and football were my main things. So I ran the uh, high high hurdles and the intermediate uh, 300 hurdles as well. And I went to Fort King Military Academy. But football was the end-all, be-all. I, I really wasn't interested in any other sport other than football. If it was going to help me be the best football player I could be, then I was all for it. But outside of that, no, nah, I didn't have any aspirations of playing baseball or golf or swimming, none of that. It was just – Running the rock. That was it. No, that's super interesting, man. It's 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 funny because I just interviewed Ricky Williams on the show a couple of weeks back and he was talking about his baseball experience. So like there's that's why I have to ask that question. Like, you know, we we knew Ricky and we know you as a running back, running back, right? But he is a running back, but he actually was you know, went down the professional ball route for a short time too. Time too. Like, it's just interesting to see like if people, you know, if they if they trans but you mentioned track and I kind of want to unbox that real quick. Track. How did that correlate? Because I, I talked, I coach young athletes that are, you know, in senior mm -hmm. years. I coach club basketball. We travel around the country and, and whatnot. And I try to talk to them about, like, if you're playing another sport, and I try to ask them, like, how does that correlate? Like, how does that, how can you implement what you're learning there into the, the sport that you really love? So for, for you, I guess I'd ask the same question. Did you notice anything specific besides just, like, cardiovascular conditioning that you could implement from track onto the football team? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's all about speed and I had to, I was never blessed with uh natural speed I had to work on my speed to get faster and running track was um a great way to do that you know running 400s 200s the hurdles especially the hurdles for leg strength and stretching out your stride and power um you need to be able to three step in between each hurdle and that's how I built my speed up along with weight training and so forth. So I, I, I would recommend any athlete that's playing football, you, you need to run track. Cause if you don't love to run, then you can't play the game of football and it translates over because you're able to stay in your runs longer. It's um, speed endurance. So you're, you're training your, your hamstrings, calves, your your glutes to be able to stay in a run longer 
um, and have that endurance to run at a high level or a faster level for a longer period of time. And I would um, find that I would have a key a key differentiator within that for myself um, when I got late in the fourth quarter. You know, my conditioning levels was were pretty high, and I would always um, make sure that I was the best conditioned athlete or try to be one of the top athletes uh, that was the best in condition when I got into the fourth quarter. So whenever the other guys got tired, I wouldn't necessarily get stronger. I would just maintain longer. So that's what I've noticed, um, you know, with all the track workouts and the speed and the cut, the agilities, um, all that helps and the power, the plyometric work, everything helps. So I, I tell my youngest son that you have to be able to run, you know, I don't care if you're 260 pounds, I want you to run track so you can learn how to run, how to burst, how to get in and out of your cuts, um, how to use your, how to fire your, your muscles and, and to maintain that. So, um, yeah, I, that's, that's, that's the long and gist of it. Oh, I love that. That's, that's super good information. I hope those, like, I, I forgot to mention earlier, but if you're listening to this podcast and you might be new to it or you're not, you know, the drill, I always tell people take out your notes. Like if you're listening to it on your phone. Cool. Make sure you have your notepad out. You can always pop the podcast, rewind it, whatever. Take some notes. This is the whole point of the show is to like learn from the guys. So I would encourage, especially if you're a football player, you, you're you're talking to one of the best to do it right here. So you're or Linda, mm-hmm. do it right here, right here. So I want to consider uh, maybe implementing the feedback. Um, oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? What were you going to say? No, I was going to say, Shane, you're right. I mean, anytime that you can, you know, pick up any nugget information on the podcast, that's what I do all day. I, I get different podcasts. I listen to different leadership podcasts, uh, different coaches, different um, uh, um, um, master classes, uh, just to pick up one thing that I, that's that I've never heard or I can learn. You always evolve. You always grow. So I'm so so refreshed to hear you say, "Hey, you know, if you're in your car or if you're uh, on a bus ride or, or, or on a plane." you've downloaded this podcast, you know, pick up a pen and write it down because you never know what nuggets you can get on it. 110%. See, he gets it. Everybody else needs to get it too. Uh, I love that. So, you know, Eddie is, as you made the transition from the high school to the collegiate realm, this is a question I wanted to know from, because like, I only knew you during, like that was, I was first introduced to like your style of football when you were on your Heisman run, but Mm -hmm. I want to know that transition from high school to college. A lot of kids don't expect they they might be a great athlete, but they don't really know what's coming. They don't understand what's what's coming. College world, such as such as academics, you got to pay attention to classes. You got to out of schedule. You got to abide by. You got to you got to have more, I guess, um, self self discipline, if, if you will. Oh yeah. I want to know more about like that transition uh, to the college game, um, and not just the college game, but the college world from high school to college. What was the toughest transition for you? And I guess if you could give a piece of advice to somebody, what would it be? For me, it really wasn't as tough as for others because I was already already away from home when by the age of 15. Um, I went to a, a, a military academy in Virginia for, um, for two and a half years, and that prepared me to go to college. It prepared me to uh, go to class and to be on time because everything was structured. And I saw the value in that, and I saw the benefits behind having that structure and having great study habits or for the tail end of my, my high school career. So when I got to college, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. It wasn't, well, I'm going to have to be homesick and, you know, I'm not going to get caught up with girls and all of that. I felt I had time for it, but my number one priority was to play ball. 
And the the most challenging part to it was uh, having the freedom not to go to class and not be held accountable for that. Uh, but you understand quickly that that catches up with you your freshman year. So you you got to have the discipline to understand that you have free time, you're responsible for your free time. College is like a, another level of high school, but without your parents and the accountability. And you have a ton of free time. You have a bunch of social outings. You got parties. You got uh, females. You got liquor. You get you have it all at your beck and call. So you've got to learn to prioritize your time wisely and put goals out there for yourself. So that's probably the toughest part. But the, was the toughest part for me was um, not necessarily managing my time. But learning to have more fun, especially earlier on, as I was a hermit, I didn't go out a lot. I, I didn't drink at all. I didn't enjoy my college years. Not that you have to enjoy college, but uh, I was just strictly about business. I didn't quite enjoy the, the totality of the college life. So I would I would say I would definitely say that. What's up, guys? Just want to take a quick break and give a shout out to today's sponsor of the podcast. Like I said in the introduction, it's Ripped Nutrition, locally owned and operated hardcore supplement store here in Boise. They're off of Milwaukee. I'll put the address in the description here of the podcast. You guys can see it there, but they are amazing. I got, I've gone there for my own stuff. They've got the exclusive Ripped series for products, but they've also got Hyped Sups, Insane Labs, Bucked Up, Innova Farm, Chaotic Labs, and a lot more. So if you guys enjoy those brands, go in there and check it out. Or if you haven't tried the Ripped series supplements that they have, go check those out too. And the best thing is, if you have questions on those, the owner will give you the information that you need. So Matt's in there. He's offering free one-on-one and group supplement consultations. So if you guys have questions on what you want to take as you're getting ready for the off-season and trying to you know, get bigger, stronger, and faster... Go check it out. Ask him, um, and he can he can help you out with it. And they've got some awesome proteins by High Tech, Astroflave, True Fit, and Mutant. Um, they're just awesome. They've got everything for weight loss, muscle building, just pre workouts, uh, post workouts. And the best thing is, man, they've they've also got some non stems. So if you're like me and you were trying to you know wean yourself off of caffeine for a little while to let your adrenals have a break, they've got non stems too. But they've got everything on the shelves. He'll help you out. Hit up Rip Nutrition in Boise on Milwaukee. Check it out, guys. So interesting hearing everybody's different perspectives. You know, um, here's a question. Uh, Boise, Idaho. I'm a Boise State alum, born and raised in Boise. I ride the blue turf. So when mm-hmm. I my first time actually going to the shoe in Columbus was actually 2017. Um, mm. I finally got to go over there. I, I went and watched Ohio State get torched by Baker Mayfield. But I, uh, <laughs> I was uh, it wasn't my first Ohio State game uh, it, live, but it was my first time in the shoe, and. Mm. I was kind of surprised by Columbus. I was expecting it to be a different type of a city. Uh, and, and it's just a little bit more industrial, at least around where the stadium was at and whatnot. I'm not sure how it was back then, but I kind of want to know, you know, coming from your experience, you know, military academy, kind of you, you grew up in Philly, but then you military academy and just different locations of life. What were your impressions of Columbus, Columbus, Ohio, you got to, to Ohio State? I loved it because it was in the major city. You know, right? I think uh, Columbus, Ohio is what? 18th or 19th, one of the 18th or 19th largest cities in the country. Um, it's bigger than Boston. Uh, so it was, I love the city life. I love the fact that it has so many other corporations there, um, Fortune 500 companies in Columbus. And um, I was able to enjoy, I guess, being in a real city. 
uh, Fort Union Military Academy is in the middle of, of Virginia, and it's bucolic. It's it's countryside. It's it's everything that doesn't have that doesn't say fun at all. So I wanted to be around a big city with lots of people, lots of females, a lot of action, a lot of parties, but yet far enough away from home to where I can be independent. So I, I loved Columbus when I first uh, when I first got to Ohio. I, I, I did not expect Columbus to be as vibrant as it was when I got there. And you know, I thought it would be a, co- a sleepy college town, but it is it's far from that. Super interesting, man. Everyone's coming from, from different walks of life, different experiences and, mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. And so like everything just hits people in a different way. So cool, man. As uh, do you look back at your career at Ohio State, and I'm sure you've answered this question a million times over throughout your life, but do you have any memories? Like if you could take two memories, your top memories mm. of football for the Buckeyes, uh, what would be your top two memories that you can, you know, ponder back on, I guess? Wow. Um, it would be my senior year. Um, not a particular game. I, I just really felt like I came into my own my senior year. Um, and I would say my freshman year too, um, when I didn't have success, when I had success and then didn't have success. I fumbled twice against Illinois to lose the game and I had to fight my way out of the doghouse. And the reason why I say my freshman year is because that's when I decided to grow up and become the player that I wanted to become. It wasn't uh, easy. Um, I had to fight through a lot of negativity, a lot of jokes, a lot of um, doubters, uh, naysayers, and and plant my feet and figure out a way how I was going to be successful at Ohio State. And when I decided to do that and ignore all the chatter and focus on one at one thing and one thing only was to be the best running back in the in the country. Um, I dedicated my life for it. And, and that's when I grew up and found the keys to success. And that was resilience, dedication, hard work, um, and the hours that are spent away from the facility, the hours that, that you spend on your craft when nobody's watching. You know, I took uh, my uh, tickets to the games and I gave them to uh, a ballet instructor to, so we can trade off. I give you my tickets for ballet lessons uh, to become more nimble and agile and, and to give me again, a, a leg up on my, my competition because at my size um, there was nobody that was able to make people miss and also to run you over, you know, it was just one or the other. So I wanted to be a multi-dimensional type of running back with size, speed, and tenacity. And um, and that's what I did. So those two memories, those two times, my freshman year, certainly my senior year, when it all came to pass, it all came to fruition and came full circle for me, um, led me to win the Heisman Trophy. That's so interesting. And you mentioned ballet. Um, mm-hmm. And we hear a lot of athletes. Like I, I hear a ton of athletes um, – macho men, whatever, you know, you can call them what you want, but like they talk about yoga and, and ballet and all these different things. Yeah. Had you, did you get that advice to do that with someone like back then? Did somebody say, Hey, this might be a good idea. Or did you oh, kind yeah. of it up yourself? I don't know. Like where was the background there? To my, my uncle Kevin uh, actually oh, okay. introduced me to, to, to ballet. He told me that Willie Gope, Earl, um, Herschel Walker and Walter Payton all took ballet lessons. 
And you can see it in how they ran, how fluid they were, how graceful they were, how in control of their bodies that they were um, in, in the middle of traffic. And I was like, man, you know what? If this if it helped them, then I should do it. And it did. And I, I felt like it helped. It helped with, with my footwork. It helped with balance. It helped with, you know, tracking your eyes, getting your head around and finding a, a, a spot when you spin and coming out of cuts without losing balance. I mean, all of that helped with 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 my ability to um, to find that 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 empty space when it appeared like a hole was closed to be able to cut through a, a jump cut and burst through that slight crack, you know, or that slight hole and gain, get a gain of, you know, 15 or, or, you know, a big run that, that, that was the, the difference. So, um, yes, I, I got all, all that advice from my uncle Kevin, um, who inspired me to really push me to take ballet lessons. Super cool, man. Shout out to your uncle Kevin. That's awesome. man. <laughs> I think that's uh, uh, that's an interesting piece, and I, I appreciate you actually elaborating on that. Just like the idea of CF, and when you get out of a spin, you got to be able to lock your eyes eyes on it and like go um, things that people really don't think about, right? Like that, that's mm-hmm. part of elite running back and uh, field vision and being able to do those little things. Like that's that's what makes the difference between a great running back and an, an elite running right. back. And so it's the little things, and that's cool that you were able to do that. Um, and put your pride aside. I don't know if you necessarily had any because I didn't know you back then, but I would imagine like some guys probably don't want to do that. Like they, they'd be nervous about saying, yeah. I mean, you, you got to be willing to, you know, step outside your box and, or eliminate the box. And you're thinking in terms of how you can get better. And, and there's so many different ways to skin a cat. And I, and I was very honest about where I was, my weaknesses. And I, I didn't want to be a one dimensional running back. I wanted to be a multi-dimensional back. Um, and I knew what I had to do to get there and work on my weaknesses. So awesome. You got to be a little bit self-aware, right? And then oh, no question. To like that's the, that's the right whole step. key about being a great running back or a great player is self-awareness and understanding what your weaknesses are and what you're willing to do to get better. So cool. So cool. So Eddie, so Eddie uh, got ready for the professional game. You know, I, I talked talked to you about your transition about from high school to the collegiate realm, but I want to know more like now from the the collegiate realm to the professional realm and what that that transition was like because I've heard athletes talk about well, high school to college is similar in the sense of like you're still going to school, but now the physicality of the actual sport you're playing gets higher. Now it's a business though. Going from college to the professional level is it's a business. So this is all you do but the physicality is another tier higher. So I'm curious, you know, I always thought of you like, you like super successful. Like you came in there to me. It seemed like you have skip any beats, but I, but I obviously wasn't you. you. So I want to know what your transition was like. What was the biggest, you know, the hardest transition, if you will, to, to go from the college game to the professional. The most challenging transition is understanding that it is a job and that's all you do from eight o'clock in the morning or seven o'clock in the morning when you get to the facility to about five at night. There's no class. There's no APR. There is no CARA hours. There's none of that. It is football 24-7. That's what you study. That's what you eat. That's what you breathe. And the dangers come with money and time. Now that you got a little time on your hands when you leave the facility at 334, whenever you get out, is that you have the ability to, hey, you know, spend 
and spend spend on anything, you know, that's that's going to parties, clubs, clothes, jewelry, cat cars, whatever that is, restaurants. And that's where you can get distracted. So again, it's it's understanding that you level up. Uh, and when you level up, it's it's a situation where you've got to prioritize your time wisely yet again. Because if you're if you're about your business and you have aspirations of being a Hall of Famer, well, guess what? That preparation is completely different from a guy that's just trying to make the team. You know, the guy that's making the team, you know, he's just he's there, you know, working his butt off and he's doing what he has to do and and he may just go from eight to five and leave. Well, the guy that's, that wants to be a Hall of Famer, he's from eight to about nine, nine thirty at night, working on his body, working on his diet, studying film, endless hours at home, doing extra reps, footwork, whatever that is. That's all you do. That's all you breathe. And then in the off season, you'll find time to to have fun and enjoy the fruits of your of your labor, if you're blessed enough to to, to see that. So. That's the biggest difference is who is going to prepare like the professional and who is just trying to get by, who is just trying to just get a paycheck or just be, you know, average. And and that's for some guys, that's okay. They don't they don't have don't have aspirations of wanting to be one of the greatest in the game. But if you do, then it's completely different in terms of your preparation, your focus, and your effort. You know, I can imagine it's tough. Uh, for, for, for someone like yourself, you know, coming out of a prestigious university, having a solid college career going in there. And then there's probably people on like, not everyone always buys into the same thing because everybody has a different agenda. Um, and I, that makes certain organizations in the NFL different, they stand out over some of them. Um, they're like, some of them really want to win and some of them are okay. Right. Revenue. Uh, and that's what, that's what they're about. So it, it just seems like some people might have their own agendas. I'm sure it's kind of a tough transition, but one of the questions I had for you is a couple of years ago, probably about a decade ago now, ESPN came out, went out with a for 30 documentary called Broke. And they were ta- talking about athletes lose their money. Like they, they ha- get introduced to all this money, money, and then it's their money. And I used to be like this guy that was like, how in the heck could you lose your money after making the X amount of dollars, you know, millions and millions, blah, blah, blah. but as I've, as I've interviewed athletes, over the course of the last six years on this show and being able to like actually understand more I, and, and just hearing stories, I'm like, I became more empathetic. And it started to really teach me the importance of your influences around you, especially at the professional level. So I kind of mm-hmm. wanted to get your advice, Eddie, as you, you know, you mentioned some of the things just coming in and having to like prepare and be a professional. You know, how were you able to find the right inf- influence and make sure that your sphere of, of people to be in your best interest interest include your agents and that might include whoever else because there's some people that like have ulterior motives it sounds like at, at that level and i just want to know if like you had any advice and and what you did personally no you you said it beautifully um and that's what it's about it's surrounding yourself with the right people the right agent um the right group of friends that are like that have like my like mine like you have um that are not going to look to take advantage of you or to leech off of you. Um, the right financial advisor, the right team in general around you. And that's tough to figure out and vet out, especially if you don't have a, a, an example that can demonstrate that. Uh, 
so you know it's this this life that you live the nfl life um is predicated your, your success of it is predicated on how well you can eliminate the distractions around you and the people around you um i know firsthand you know for me it, shit, i almost got three million dollars taken stolen away from me my rookie year based off of a um a shady financial advisor and it was my agent who pointed him out didn't wind up going with him but he swindled um, a group of individuals out of millions of dollars in a Ponzi scheme. And, you know, right off the bat, that I'm introduced to that as a, as a rookie. So you don't trust a lot of people. So it, it takes a level of trust. It takes for um, athletes to be aware of the business. And that's one thing that I aim to do at Tennessee State is to teach these young men about the business of professional sports. Who are the players involved? What are their roles? What should their roles be? So you're not walking in or to a situation thinking that you work for the agent. No, the agent works for you. The financial advisor works for you. The business manager works for you. You know who your, your GM is. You understand the role of the NFL PA and the CPA. You know, you didn't sign, uh, excuse me, CBA, the collective bargaining agreement. Um, you didn't sign a power of attorney over to anyone. You know, if anything, you do a limited power of attorney for with your CPA to do bill pay. So it's understanding the nuances and details of how everybody operates and how you need to sit on top of the food chain and giving directives saying, hey, you know, I'm going to put my money in this account here. I'm the only one that signs off on it. I sign checks out of this account over to my bill pay or to my CPA for tax purposes. Not your financial advisor and agent are linked where it's under one house and they're giving you. So you gotta, you've gotta set it up and you've gotta understand that you've gotta have somebody around you who's savvy enough, who's been through it. Um, and that can help you build a, a, a situation that's gonna be successful for yourself. Super interesting, and I'm glad you shared that. I think that's just it's the interesting parts of the game that nobody really talks about much until mm -hmm. it's set up. But that's it's cool that the athletes that you're around now and you have the opportunity to influence are getting that. Um, it's a bummer that not all of those athletes are getting like across the country are getting to learn mm -hmm. that. I think the ones that you have a direct influence on can learn it and they'll understand. And hopefully, more and more will become more educated as as time goes on. But I think we need more people like yourself to be able to educate people, especially if they're going to be playing at the end of that. Right. A lot of a lot of money, a lot of influence, a lot of a lot of, a lot of drama. Drama comes along with that, I'm sure. Yes, it does, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, they got they got to know how to utilize. So, you know, as I look back at your professional career, Eddie, I was I was still young when uh, things were going down. But um, one thing that sticks out to mind and always has is the Super Bowl, and I was rooting for you guys because I was a sports fan, and I think because mm -hmm. I'm a Cowboys fan, but obviously Dallas wasn't in the Super Bowl. And that was the infamous, you know, yard short game. Everyone talks about like, yeah, it was like you guys were, we were fighting hard. Um, I was in sixth grade at the time, but I remember conversations being had about you specifically and, and just like your reaction and stuff, which was actually not that bad of one. I, I it was just like, I felt bad. Mm, I, mm. No, you went on to play many years. Like you kept, you kept playing, you kept fighting even after that. And I want to talk about adversity because not many people get to play at that high of a level at the high at the highest point, the biggest game of the 
highest level of your sport you get to play, but you came up just a tad short. And I want to know, you know, the reality of that, how you face that adversity in the sport and, and were able to get back to work and continue to compete, compete after having such a close opportunity. Well, I left the, that game, the Super Bowl inspired. Although we lost, I felt like we gave it our best shot. We gave our best uh, ourselves the best chance to win. Uh, Steve McNair was gr- phenomenal. Um, I played hard. Uh, everybody played hard. They played for each other. So I, I left inspired um, by that and was ready to start the season the next day. Now I told Jeff Fisher, hey, you know what? I'm not going to the Pro Bowl. Um, I'm going to opt out. Um, I, I want to get ready for next year. You know, I'm going to take about three days off and I'm going to start preparing and getting ready for the best season of my life. He says, nah, man, you know, go and enjoy the Pro Bowl. You never know when you'll ever be back. That's a, a quite an accomplishment around your peers, your for your family and so forth. Long story short, I go and I have a good time. But immediately when I get back off that plane from Hawaii, I'm back on the hill again. I'm, I'm back working. You know, I'm I'm. I'm stretching. I'm, I'm focusing on what it's going to take for us to get back to that moment, because to to finish that that uh, that that close to have an opportunity to continue the game, to possibly win the game, um, left a lasting mem- a lasting impression on me, and I felt like that I was built and I was born to play on that type of stage every single year, and I never reached that point again in my career. So you've got to take advantage of it while it's there. But what I've learned is that even in life, you know, although I finished a yard short, I'm still, I still have that ambition. I still have that same spirit to cross the goal line in life and business and relationships and this opportunity now as a head coach to cross that goal line with student athletes becoming better students, better men, better players and going on to have a successful and significant career. So that's what, how I've been able to turn that experience into a positive one. That is what I hope people will listen to right here and go back and listen to like over and over again, because adversity, we always say it, it sounds cliche. Oh, you'll go through adversity in sports. There's ups yeah. and stuff. But I mean, I think about it myself. Like I always tell people, Eddie, like I, I literally haven't witnessed a Super Bowl from the Cowboys since I was, it was in 1995, <laughs> That was the year. So, like, I'm telling them, like, I would, I would rather make the Super Bowl because if we make it and lose when I'm this old and I'm that invested into it, mm-hmm. I might not be able to have, like, I might have to take a week off of work, work about how wow. that'd be. See, like, this is the thing. Since, since 1996, too, since they won it, too. Or 95. Yeah, well, there's not, there was the, yeah, it was the 95, 96 yep. season. Yeah. Like, that's, that's crazy to me. Um, it's kind of funny because that was like the same time frame of when I started, you know, rooting for you in Ohio State. But uh, it, to me, it's just like, the adversity of losing at that level, it's hard to come back from. That's that right. I can imagine. And, and but you've been able to do it. You used it as motivation and fuel. And I think that's super, super inspiring. Um, if you could go back throughout your your entire career up until the coaching side of things, but just your as a as a player, who's your favorite teammate? I'm sure there's of them, but who's the most influ, influ, influential teammate and why? Hmm. I would say Steve McNair. Um, because he didn't talk a whole lot, but when he did speak, it spoke volumes. Um, it resonated. It landed um, within within us as uh, players, as teammates. 
Um, we've wa- I've watched him, you know, go from a player not having a great deal of confidence early in his career to becoming a co-MVP type of player. Um, he's been he's been through a lot as an African American quarterback in his league, especially back then. You know, it was still kind of well. He was questioned on his ability on to learn to get the. I mean, all that stuff, and I think that really bothered Steve, but to watch him persevere and um, be diligent through that time definitely made him stronger and made him into the superstar quarterback that we've known him to be. So, you know, definitely Steve McNair is um, um, a teammate that has had the most impact on my life. Wow. Just Steve McNair. Um, quite a story. And, and that's cool to hear his name again uh, mm-hmm. for any sports fan out there. That's awesome. Uh, and, and if you could go back in your playing days, switching focus here to your competitors, is there a competitor that stood out to you, whether they were on the defensive side of the ball or maybe you looked up to them on the offensive side of the ball just for a different team? Um, who would it be and why? Like some of that you faced that you're like, man, I just, that was a tough one. You know, um, of course, you know, playing against the Baltimore Ravens and, and that defense of Ray Lewis was always a battle. It was always – teaching you something about yourself, digging a little bit deeper. Um, but I had tremendous respect for guys like Jerry Rice, Emmett Smith, um, Michael Irvin, um, Junior Seau, um, uh, the late uh, Reggie, Reggie White. Uh, you know, those guys really paved the way and set such a high standard of what it meant to be a professional and an elite professional at the highest level. And it was, um, these dudes would cut your throat off, <laughs> you know, I mean, they'll cut your, neck, your head off. You know, they, they, but they were, they, they had a great sense of humility and the professionalism and, um, and grace. And that's something that I've always aspired to, to be, you know. Um, but I've, I've tried to, on numerous occasions, just to sit down get to know what makes them tick, you know, much like this this podcast, you know, get a pen and pad out and, and just and just listen, you know, to what kind of advice they could give me to be, for me to be um, the best that I could be. And also, you know, the best person I could possibly be off the football field as well. Oh, cool, man. Oh, freaking cool, cool. As you've transitioned into the coaching uh, world, Eddie, um, I've always told people this. I've obviously never played at a level like you've played at, but a basketball player and a boxer, like competed through high school and whatnot, and and then changing over to the coaching world now in my 30s. Um, it's a different skill set. Uh, mm-hmm. Not all manage, sorry, not all the best employees, are the best managers, and it's not always the best players always make the best coaches, but there are a select few that can. Uh, they can make that transition mm-hmm. to a different skill set. I want to know from from perspective at, 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 at the college football level, knowing what you know, know, like what's, what's the hardest part about coaching is it that you can be like as hands-on. Do you sometimes see something you're being an idiot? Like I know the route you're going down. You need to listen to me. Like, or do you find it just super, super fulfilling and loving that they, they respect everything that you're saying? Like, I just, I'm curious on your side of things. Like if it's uh, if it's a hard transition there. It is because you never know if you're having a true impact on them at the, in this moment. Sometimes you want them to get it so bad, but it's going to take time. You know, it's going to take repetition. It's going to take for them to fail. 
try again and fail and to see if they're going to persevere through it. Uh, the toughest part is just that, is getting guys to to buy in holistically, not just not just uh, on, on, within the, on the, the team, but within your staff. I mean, just the entire building, from academics to uh, athletic training to um, – uh, our our, our, our 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 sports performance you know uh deal um to nutrition to everything every department that touches compliance every department that touches football is trying to make sure that everybody is on the same page and that we're all pushing the boat in the same direction without any ulterior motives or not true buy-in that's the number one thing is who is bought in from all aspects of the program because if one person is not in alliance or in congruent with you or in harmony with what you believe in and your vision then it's not going to work you want to get pushed back you want to get oversight from some place where oh you know what we'll let this slide well if you're preaching you know discipline the little things in one particular area and you know let's say uh in 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 sports performance and in academics, you let certain things slide, then these kids are not having that sense of accountability. So you have to make sure that that's streamlined throughout every single department and it's preached, teached every day and is reinforced to the point you have to really coach your coaches. You have to coach the other executives that are touching football because that's where an elite program comes in. And it's, it's, all, it's exhausting. It's it can be time consuming. It it can be, it's a battle of wills, a battle of of a spirit of, you know, of, of battling rebellion, and 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 raising the standard of individuals in that building to uh, to what you want it to be. So that's that's the most challenging part. The X's and O's part that's easy, you know, um, getting out there and, and having them run inside outside zone pin pull. Um, you know, whatever scheme that you you dial up, you know, that stuff is just what you look forward to. Finding the right people in the building, you know, in terms of, of that part. But to hammer home every day and to check everybody, you know, who has the, the slightest bit of mediocrity, you've got to do it consistently um, or else it could possibly fester and destroy the program from the inside out. So much that goes into it that like the general public doesn't know. That is crazy. Oh, no question. Right. That's tough. So the last part of the interview, just a couple rapid fire questions. I call it the Guru's Gauntlet. This mm -hmm. is what I do. Um, the Guru's so Gauntlet. <laughs> Guru's Gauntlet. So we'll just ask you a few questions to wrap it up here, Eddie. I just want to first thank you for your time, as you've already taken enough time mm -hmm. to go around and everything. And I know you're busy. Um, so we'll we'll rapid fire a few of them. Um, name, image, and likeness. Top top location nowadays because uh, it's loud. Everything it, it, athletes can profit off of their name, image, and like. Mm -hmm. And you being a coach, you just mentioned some of the hardships that well, not, I wouldn't call them hardships, but they're just some obstacles you got to tackle within the program and, and whatnot yourself, as well as the X's and O's. And then you yourself were an athlete, a very high profile athlete at that, especially at the college level. So things have changed quite a bit. Do you think, mm -hmm. with all your experience so far, both as a player and a coach and everything? That name, image, and likeness, this whole this whole thing is good or bad for college athletics? It is it is good. The intention is good because the intention behind college football in the beginning, when it first began, was not for it to be as big as it is. It was 
uh, recreational. It was, um, you know, for our, our, our men and women um, that served our country, for, they were playing the sport um, at, a, at, a, at the collegiate level. And then as time grew on, it became popular and more popular. And with popularity and more eyeballs comes money, comes TV deals, comes a name, image, and likeness, and, and all of that. So it's evolved uh, from the time that I played, certainly in the 90s, to the BCS era, and now at the college football playoff level. And it's going to extend beyond that. So it's a multi-billion dollar business. College coaches, you know, at one point, it wasn't disclosed what they were making. They were probably making, you know, the, I don't know, maybe $500,000 during the time of Joe Pa and and, and, and Earl Bruce and uh, Bo Shem Beckler. Well, now college coaches are making, you know, three times, four times is that, you know, whereas we're looking at, or even nine times, you know, $9 million contracts, hit coaches, you know, offensive coordinators getting paid $4 million, $5 million. Um, so depending on what level you're on, it's, it's grown to that. So within that, you can't sit up here and have antiquated policies and expectations around a business model that has evolved and has grown. And to say that, you know, your education will equals the value of your name, image, and likeness, which is not completely true because some of these coaches are pushing for players to take classes that isn't leading them to a particular um, end goal in mind with a, a degree that's going to be meaningful at the end of your career. And then when you graduate, what do you have, you know, if you don't go to the NFL? So um, yes, I, I've always been, uh, a proponent of athletes being compensated for their name, image, and likeness. Um, yes, I think there needs to be parameters that are wrapped around that. What that is, I'm not sure. I don't know what that looks like. Uh, but players should be able to take their name, especially if you're successful and you've won various awards. If you're a Heisman Trophy winner and you're going back for another year, you should be able to sign autographs for more money on top of what you're getting on your scholarship, uh, your scholarship uh, as well. And I get the whole Title IX deal. I get that you want everybody to have a fair shake, but that's the reality is this. Um, there are two sports that, that pays the bills at these universities, and it's football and basketball, mainly football. The football program is the eyes and ears of any institution, and it's the, it's the doorstep to any institution, and it's the number one revenue generator if you're doing it right to any institution. So with that being said, there'll be more money, more eyeballs, more resources for that program because that's the cash cow. And then you allow those athletes to make that money on winning awards, on being all Americans. And I think it filters over into women's sports where if you have a softball team, a women's basketball team, a gymnastics team that's that's national champions, those young ladies should have the opportunity to make the money on their name, image, and likeness. There's enough out there for everyone to eat. There's enough out there for everyone to take advantage of this. And it allows student athletes to apply their knowledge in terms of financial literacy and understanding that, hey, you know what? If I get paid a million dollars, I can't go spend that whole million because I have taxes to pay. I got to pay Uncle Sam. And guess what? You're going to be taxed at the highest tax bracket. Oh, really? Yes. So you have to set up an LLC. You have to have an agent. You have to have a CPA. 
you have to have somebody that understands that, you know, at the end of the quarter or the next year, you have to file for taxes and to save, put money away. So there's an opportunity to establish habits early on and teaching student athletes about financial literacy and setting things up properly. Because if you're blessed enough to play at the next level, at the NFL level, you want to probably, probably you, the goal is to make more money off the field than you do on the field. And that's your name, image, and likeness. And it goes and extends beyond your playing days. So um, I, I, I love it. I just think that there needs to be more education around it. I think more kids need to be set up for success versus be thrown at the wolves and allowing whatever agents to to capitalize on any deals that these kids come across. Definitely. That is uh, one of the most in-depth responses I've received in regard to regard. And I agree with every single thing you said. And I think there's, there's opportunity for people to educate these, mm-hmm. these athletes. I mean, it's great, but I love the idea, the idea of literacy, that word right there. And the, everything you explained afterwards is what I have always kind of like wanted to say, but I just didn't really know how to say it. It's like, yeah. And, but you understand the, it can teach them a lot of lessons like early yes. on. They don't run into problems later, but they're going to have to learn taxes. They're going to have to learn that. Super important. Now, we talked right before we started recording. I asked you a question. You had the bookshelf behind you. You got tons of books. <laughs> talked about podcasts on here. You mentioned some podcasts earlier on, um, just you know, podcasts that you've listened to and whatnot. I just want to ask you, a book or a podcast that you would recommend and people mm. listen to this podcast right now? Like, What's what's a the book or podcast that stands out to you, to you, read or listened to? Um, and why? Um, a book that I've, I'm currently reading now is um, is the uh, the obstacle is the way, um, and it just talks about if 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 there is an obstacle in your way of, say, in your career, and that is blocking you from success, um, instead of stopping at that obstacle and analyzing the obstacle and uh, being fearful of it or trying to go around it, you know, to get to the other side, to get what you want. Ultimately, you have to go through that obstacle to achieve your goal um, and to find the blessing in what the, the so-called challenges or curses that may come along your way. What appears to be a loss or a setback is really a pathway to to your successes. And that's, that's an excellent read. Um, it's that there's one, um, by John Gordon, uh, of the energy bus. I'm pretty sure you're probably familiar with that one. Heard it. Read it. Um, there is, uh, a podcast that I'm listening to. I listen to John Ma- Maxwell's podcast on leadership. I love his stuff. Um, masterclass, you know, if you haven't got this app, it's a master class. You can get, you can sign up for it. I think it's like, I don't know what the price point is, but you're able to get a master class on anything from right being an MC to being a DJ to pottery to being an artist, surfing, um, you know, uh, skateboarding. Well, there's one on there with Bill Clinton and when he's talking about um, making tough decisions during his presidency. And also there's a masterclass uh, with Coach K and he just breaks down his philosophy in terms of how he was able to build Duke, Duke's brand and his, clo- his coaching style and 
um, how he delegates and he's very vulnerable. He's um, selfless. Um, and, you know, he doesn't have all the answers. And that's, and that's a, a refreshing thing to hear is that, hey, as a head coach, I don't have to have all the answers. I can seek those answers. I open the door up for an environment where I, I make it inclusive, but I'm also the dictator in terms of, hey, this is where we're going. And this is how we're going to get there. But we all have to have buy-in. This is our culture. Not just mine. We're going to establish a culture. I'm letting you know we're establishing a culture, but I need you to be a part of this culture so you have buy-in. And that that to me is invaluable. So um, you never reach a place where you've got where you've arrived and you have, you know, you're the, the coaches of all coaches or active all. No, you're always evolving, you're always growing. And uh, those two. Those three things I would say um, that I just mentioned would be good reads to start with. I am going to check out this masterclass app. I'm a huge like fan of that. So I, I've never actually looked at that app. I just wrote it yeah, down. It's a good one. And then, it really uh, is. looks huge. Last mm -hmm. question for Eddie. Biggest life lesson that football has taught you. Mm. The biggest life lesson football has taught me is that the game is never over. Although time is, is not on the clock, um, it appears that a particular game might be over, another battle comes. And it's how you approach that battle. It's the certain mindset that you have. And what I mean by that, the game, not just the physical game, not just the game in between the white lines, the game of life is never over. If one door shuts, another one opens up. If an obstacle is in your way, guess what? That is the way. If you're down by, you know, 15 points late in the third, fourth quarter, you know, there's still time on the clock. You know, I, I can speak to that with the Music City Miracle with 16 seconds on the clock. We had a play dialed up that we, that I thought would never work. And we wind up, you know, advancing on to the next round of the playoffs. So no matter how bad you're down, how far you're up, you have got to learn how to close. So those are the things that I've learned in life and that I use in everyday life that, hey, the, my eye, if I wake up and I, I'm breathing and I have all my limbs I can see and hear, hey, I got a fighting chance today to get better, to get closer to my dreams, to get closer to my goals. So the, the game is never over. Fantastic. Man, I just want to say thank you. I, I've, I've been this, obviously I personally have enjoyed it. Like I'm like borderline emotional, like, like a boy, but been an amazing opportunity. I, I appreciate your time, sir, and just being willing to to work through the technical glitches and then also, yes. you know, join me and, and share your, your knowledge with my audience. Um, I'm looking forward to continuing to, you know, follow you in your career and seeing what you guys do over there and, you know, whatever life brings you, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of yours. So I'm going to be supporting you from over here in Boise, but just want to say thanks once again for joining the show and uh, sharing your knowledge with us, man. Shane, thank you so much, man. I'm glad we made this happen. And uh, hopefully this will bless a, a few of your listeners, man. It absolutely will. For all those all listening, the only thing I ask for you guys is to make sure to leave me, leave me a run Apple podcast and uh, we'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Take care. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.